Hello, and welcome to ABS in Mind, the podcast from the staff here at DebtWire ABS. We'll take you behind the curtains of the asset-backed securities markets and the loans that they help finance. I'm Al Yoon, and I'll be hosting today. Hello, this is Al Yoon, and thanks for joining us for this latest episode of ABS in Mind. Today is Thursday, July 23rd, and joining me as co-host today is assistant editor, Maura Sadovi. Hi, Maura. Hi, Al. How are you doing? Great. Great. Thanks. Today, uh, we're going to take another look at where insurance money is getting invested, and uh, in particular, commercial and residential mortgages. Now, the mortgage, the markets that we're going to talk about are still functioning, which I'm sure is no small feat given the chaos of a few months ago. But it's pretty clear that investors still aren't in total agreement when it comes to striking the balance between getting some yield and avoiding excessive risk. To help us to figure out what's excessive and what's attractive, joining us are two investment specialists at Penn Mutual Asset Management. Jen Ripper, whose focus is commercial real estate, and John Swar, who covers residential assets. Thanks for joining us, Jen and John. Thank you. Great, thanks. So just to start it off, a question for either or both of you. How has the big picture changed for Penn Mutual since March? In general, like why have you been have you been peering back on risk and in what ways and why? Just a, sort of a big picture a view of how things have changed for you guys since since March. Um, well from from my perspective on the commercial real estate side, I'd say, you know, well, prior to March, we had already had a bias to be up in quality on, on a credit curve. Um, and, and that certainly continues for us today in light of um, the struggles uh, and challenges that are going on in commercial real estate today. Obviously, um, retail and the lodging are bearing the brunt of um, uh, the pandemic and with the shutdown uh, earlier in the year. <clears throat> um, had, Retail had already had some headwinds, and, and this pandemic has just accelerated that. With you know, we're seeing obviously much more greater numbers of store closures and bankruptcies since March, um, and that sector will continue to struggle, um, you know, for quite some time. So lodging also um, has its challenges as well, um, as people across the country, you know, really aren't traveling like they used to on a typical summer and flying to their destinations. Uh, most people are, are more comfortable with driving. Um, I think the luxury and of the hotels could take a little bit longer to recover, especially as business travel um, will remain muted for some time until, you know, really probably until a vaccine um, is distributed uh, across the country. So um, those are two areas that I think will be problematic going forward. I think that something, you know, also to keep in mind is over the longer term, how office space needs will change, whether it's reducing footprint or reconfiguring office so that it is um, safer for employees to be back in buildings. Um, so that's another area to, to think about. I think that while telework and working from home may be a trend that um, will increase over the next few years. You know, I do think a lot of people still you know, want to be back in the office and, and have that collaboration and, and mentorship that, that happens in a physical presence um, rather than from a, a permanent you know, work from home situation. 
John, I mean, were you guys in, on the residential side also positioned up in quality before the pandemic uh, started to worsen in February and March? Yes, residential uh, space, um, you know, we were up in quality in, in non-agency um, as well as uh, agency uh, securities. Um, and what you saw, you know, down in late March was uh, kind of a technical liquidity driven sell-off where folks uh, who were leveraged, I mean, they were generally trying to sell their most liquid assets, um, whether they're uh, agency pools or uh, you know, AAA um, and non-agency. And, and you saw um, on an OAS basis, you know, uh, agencies were looking very attractive um, compared to treasuries. Um, and given given a, a an ample liquidity position heading into, we took advantage in, in the agency space, um, as well as uh, given the, the the dollar prices on some of the uh, the AAA in, in the jumbo prime 2.0, uh, you know the convexity profile. Even though rates were falling, um, you know the, the dollar prices gave you a lot more call protection um, and a much cleaner spread profile. So, uh, so you, saw, we, we so you guys saw a lot of opportunity, a lot of opportunity at the time then, uh, especially in uh, obviously in agencies that uh, was obviously a good trade uh, with the, you know, the Fed in big time. Um, anyway, um, listen, I wanted to uh, turn it over to Maura just out of the interest of time, who's uh, got some prepared questions for Jen. Maura, go ahead. Well, just um, first, um, Jen, um... During that uh, the sell-off, um, how far down did you go in the credit? Uh, where did you see opportunity? And you know, did you actually put on more CMBS than you had prior to the crisis? Um, we took advantage of adding to CMBS on the agency side, primarily on you know in the guaranteed space of bonds issued by. Uh, Fannie, Freddie, and Ginny, and ultimately um, we saw, you know, the Federal Reserve come in and purchase similar types of assets. So, um, you know, those those spreads blew out significantly, but were still obviously high quality and government guaranteed. Um, and they have subsequently, you know, at least on the the Freddie guaranteed side, have come back to you know historic heights. So. Um, yeah, that was a, a fairly quick reversal and spread movement on the agency side there. What about the non-agency side? Um, the credit, uh, CMBS credit spreads were, um, and pricing was, um, there was a lagged the, the, the um, agency and also the uh, AAA and, and senior bond uh, rally. Um, uh, are you still seeing opportunity there down in the credit? So, um, yeah. This the, on the non-agency side, um, credit spreads were all over the place, and it was really kind of uh, very opaque for a while and, and trying to figure out um, where clearing levels were. Um, I think we've seen a, a definite improvement in spreads down the capital stack on the non-agency side since March. I think that you know there's still a lot of tiering going on amongst different deals, whether it's either by vintage or just you know, purely on a collateral performance basis. So I think that there are still some opportunities, you know, a little bit down the capital stack on the non-agency CMBS side where things um, may be a little bit mismarked. I think that the credit curve still has room to flatten somewhat. So I think that, 
down the capital stack, you'll see some more spread compression where I would think that, you know, you know, single A's to triple B's would outperform, you know, triple A's and double A's over the next months. So did you go further? I know you're, uh, you, you were biased up in quality, but how much further did you go down the stack uh, to buying than you did prior to the March sell-off? Like what, what kind of rated bonds did you like that you didn't previously like? Um, you know, we still kept our same bias up in stack um, just because I think it was it was hard to price credit risk and um, or really tail risk of um, some of the underlying loans in the pool. So I, I think that you there was plenty of opportunities um, and good, great good opportunities to buy very uh, you know wide um, wide wide trading assets that were still high quality. Um, that we could get comfortable with high quality like on the in the stack or high quality like you know in, uh, in a stack like you know i think there were you know double a's and, and higher i think we're we're very got very attractively priced during the sell-off and and prior was that was that there any shift like were you above double a's prior or was that a dip for you uh, no i mean um no um i mean we I've been buying some single A's from time to time. So, um, mm -hmm. but, you know, we kind of just kept, we still kept our up and bias, uh, up and quality bias. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And did the percentage, like the, your, if you saw opportunity there, did the percentage of your portfolio that, that contains CMBS change at all or shift uh, higher did, due to the opportunity? Well, I mean, I, I, I'd say, our, well, our overall exposure to CNBS went up a little bit, but it was primarily um, on the agency CNBS side. Mm -hmm. um, is that because you see more risk in the non-agency? Correct. Yeah. And you talked a bit about the retail and lodging bearing the brunt of the pandemic. How are you, um, you know, uh, hedging that risk? Uh, are you avoiding any secondary that has X percent exposure to that uh, in conduits or SASBs? What, how do you add to your portfolio and, and with with that sort of open risk and uncertainty on lodging and retail? Yeah, we're definitely taking, um, you know, a, a closer look as we add exposure. I would say that, you know, those two combined, um, you know, and it varies from deal to deal, but some deals certainly are, are more heavily weighted to retail and lodging than others. I generally, I'm trying to minimize exposure there, so uh, and cognizant of what the overall allocation would be to any particular deal. So, and you know, we've certainly looked to lighten up a bit on um, some of our our heavier retail lodging exposures. Um, lighten up by by um, selling off some, or or how are you lightening up? Yeah, I mean, um, we tried to minimize, you know, tail risk essentially. So um, most of our holdings we've been very comfortable with. So, um, but, but we, you know, are also cognizant of um, some transactions that are just more heavily weighted to those sectors that are still under stress. So the spread's tightening a little bit here. Is this, do you see this as a possible window to sell some of those into? Uh, pricing has definitely gotten uh, more attractive uh, from that perspective. So, mm -hmm. um, but also we've gotten a little bit more clarity in terms of how we've had some months go by of 
of seeing how some of these loans have been performing and are not performing in terms of you know, delinquencies and or um, you know, some have asked for forbearance, you know, some are in grace period. So um, you know, there's a variety of different factors that you know we're reviewing. Yeah. Well, what, what do you make of um, for a while that you know they were they had pristine pr uh, primary deals that didn't have any or, or had little to no um, hair on them retail or lodging hair, but now this week we have um, two conduits with casinos in them. Uh, do you just push or are you pushing back against that? Are you not interested in that kind of exposure? Yeah, I, I mean some of those loans, you know, do have investment grade ratings and, and with relatively, you know, lower leverage. However, um, they are highly, you know, subjected to travel and leisure. Um, and and so that's an area that, you know, I think will take some time to come back. So I think it really all comes down to how it's allocated within a pool. So, um, you know, you just, you need to be cognizant of that. And then also, you know, do you get comfortable with those types of loans um, given how they've been underwritten? It's also a decision of, you know, where you might like, like it in the capital stack. Yeah. So like those two deals, what do you think of those uh, in the in the market this week? Uh, the BMARC and the MSC with the with the Bellagio and the Mandalay Bay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, um, I mean, overall, I think the lodging and retail allocations were fairly low on both transactions. So, um, but then again, you know, I think that there's also potential. Um, things to consider when you look at office exposure and how um, what the lease roles look like in terms of how they match up with loan maturity. So there's just a variety of things. In, in general, I mean, I would, you know, be more cautious on, on gaming within um, a CMBS transaction. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just surprised to, you know, there had been speculation that how, how would the um, issuers put out those, you know, the remaining loans, and it appears that they're they're uh, they're uh, coming out through bits and pieces in conduits. <laughs> that's yeah. that's um, so that was interesting to see. I thought you also did a, um, an interesting piece. I think it was earlier this month on uh, your expectations for for loss, you know, cumulative losses in CMBS as compared to the Great Financial Crisis. Um, oh. How does you know we're we're a couple months into this crisis, this pandemic crisis? Um, how do you think we stack up in terms as compared to the cumulative loss rate that we saw um, in the Great Financial Crisis of thirteen point nine percent on uh, CMBS? Um, well, I think one positive thing going into the pandemic is that you know commercial real estate fundamentals were really on solid footing. We have seen an improvement in underwriting standards over the last several years. Generally, um, leverage was coming down, debt service looked better, um, although we were seeing a greater use of interest-only loans within the pools. Um, but I think the underwriting standards today or in the last few years was are significantly better than what we saw, you know, 05 to 07. Um, and another thing to to, I would point out is that generally subordination levels or credit enhancement levels uh, for different reading categories the last few years were really higher today again than they were prior to the great financial crisis. So, mm -hmm. you know, 
I think overall, um, ultimately, we will see losses lower than what we experienced in the, you know, 05 to 08 vintages. Um, I mean, there certainly will be some outliers that, you know, are struggling now with, you know, that, that retail and lodging component. Um, mm-hmm. but, but, I, but, I, but I think that the overall losses, um, you know, will really stay below, you know, triple B, the triple B level. Mm-hmm. So the triple Bs would, would, would stay whole or they might get eaten into? I think some will get eaten into, but the vast, I think the vast majority of them will be fine. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Whereas, whereas we saw a handful of, of deals from 07, 08, um, where losses breached, you know, the junior triple A level. So I, I don't think that will be the case um, for what we're experiencing mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. It, just one last question, just wondering, um, in, what is your expectation for the second half of uh, 2020? Um, uh, I, I know you're saying that the um, credit enhancement is, is better, that, that, that cumulative losses should be less than the great financial crisis, but um, is the jury still out given you know, the, the chain of forbearance, forbearances may, may, may not come, become apparent. Uh, well, the, the, um, the, the difficulty might, might not come apparent until the second half of 2020, which, you know, some people hold that, you know, we haven't really seen the recon- reconciling of the, of the unpaid rent, the, the um, unpaid mortgages yet. Well, I mean, I think that at least for, you know, July, we're seeing the rate of new problem loans slowing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I don't know if we yet hit a peak in terms of delinquencies, but the, the rate of acceleration is certainly coming down, which is, you know, I think a positive. But mm-hmm. I think it also depends on, um, you know, the continuing reopening of America, so to speak. So, you know, I know many are eager to get back to, you know, full-time work, to get back into the offices, to people want to go out and, and spend in retail outlets. Um, so I think a lot of that is a little bit up in the air right now. Um, you know, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic that, you know, we can get back to a new normal sooner than later. But um, I think that there'll be some stress in the market for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, through the rest of the year. And so, uh, like, when will, so we'll know, would you say it would be, you'll be, like, recalculating or looking at the cumulative loss expectations as that plays out uh, by the end of the year? Yes. Like, yeah. yeah, it will be an ongoing exercise to, um, you know, to determine, you know, what tail risks remain uh, in CMBS and, and if we have, when we get to, to um, you know, the peak of delinquencies and then hopefully the worst is behind us. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> well, great, thanks. Um, I'll, I'll hand it over to you, Al. Um, thanks, Jen, I appreciate great. your, your great, thoughts on great. this. Yeah, let's get, let's get some time in for uh, residential assets. Uh, John's been sitting aside patiently. Thank you, John. <laughs> Uh, um, listen, you've already mentioned some places that you liked. Uh, I guess it's, uh, you know, some agency MBS, and I think it was Prime Jumbo. Um, does that mean that Penn Mutual has gone more overweight in those areas at the expense of others since March? Or what's underweight for you now, uh, actually, too? Underweight in the residential space or residential. just in, in general? Yeah. I, I, don't, I wouldn't say the mix has 
I would say the I guess we upped our um, exposure in both uh, non-agency jumbo prime, which we have uh, been a, a prior participant in. Uh, but I would say in the agency securities, um, you know, given the depths of uh, the sell-off in in late March, it was a good opportunity to add size in in, in, a, in a very liquid security. So I would say we upped our exposure there. Now, generally for insurance, you know, the, the agency MBS does not, you know necessarily you know have uh the yield required for insurance but um you know when you uh had that that technical uh deleveraging back in march um we found a good opportunity to add um do you guys look at uh, the crt market credit risk transfer market at all uh fortunately we uh we we were not active in that market um as <laughs> that was probably the the, the worst affected area not in agency um, you know, you, you heard, you know, certain bonds were trading, you know, $50, $60 price. Um, and so luckily that was an area that we, that we have not been active in. Okay. Okay. Of course, uh, there was an opportunity too, though. Uh, I mean, you know, for, you know, some people out there did take advantage of the, the fire sales, but, uh, that, that market has definitely, definitely lagged uh, the recovery of, uh, of many other uh, others in the fixed income sectors, uh, including corporate debt. Uh, I've seen that for sure. Um, so, John, uh, let's skip over to uh, non-QM. Uh, what what are your investments like there, and uh, have you been taking advantage of those uh, those investments at all since that say that primary has reopened? Actually, that's right. Um, so. Uh, coming into um, the you know this year, we were not an active participant in in non-QM. Um, now we saw the new issue pipeline you know shut off across all non-agency, um, but the non-QM uh, new issue market uh, reopened first. Uh, I'd say you know end April, early May. Um, my timing's correct, and, and you saw. You know, some some deals test the waters um, with some new uh, structuring provisions that were a little bit different than than, than previous issues. Uh, most notably, uh, the, the senior structure went from pro rata uh, to a sequential, um, and so and, and then within these uh, these loan tapes, they they were actually you know, designating uh, you know what loans were in forbearance plans at, at the time of issue. Uh, trying to give investors a little more, um, you know, transparency into what was going on with, uh, you know, homeowners um, in their deals with regards to, uh, you know, COVID forbearance or payment deferral plans. Uh, the first couple of deals were were very well received, and, and from there you saw the new issue pipeline open, and and with several deals a week being uh, coming to market. At, at the beginning, um, the uh, you saw uh, the credit curve uh, very steep um, and still quite wide in the um, in the AAA space, um, and those those deals were very heavily subscribed. Uh, and after the first week or two, you saw spreads dramatically tightened, um, with the credit curve remaining you know steeper. Um, and, and then recently, you you seen that that flatten as well. So by saying all of this, you're saying that uh, Penn Mutual is now in this market and it wasn't in the market before because of the changes that you've mentioned, both structurally and in terms of uh, disclosures? Uh, 
actually we are not. Um, we did our homework on, on a couple of deals and um, what you saw in, in these deals were, you know, they're coming to market with, you know, quite a few, uh, you know, quite a high percentage of borrowers uh, in forbearance plans. And, and, and with forbearance, it, it's, we're finding it you know, difficult to, to truly understand the state of the borrower um, across all non-agency deals right now. But, you know, folks were issuing these deals uh, just because the market would receive them um, at, and given the spread levels, um, yet they did not come without any hair on them. So we, we picked a, a deal or two to really focus on that was up in quality but then by the time the deals went subject, you know, they were heavily subscribed and, and the, the issues were able to tighten quite a bit. So we did not see that as worth the risks of, um, you know, the, the quality of the collateral. Okay. Yeah, well, that actually is a good segue. I was going to ask you about performance of the collateral because, I mean, even if you're not invested there, you're watching, you know, what's going on. And you can see that uh, the early stage delinquencies on a lot of these deals has been actually, I mean, kind of ugly, right? I mean, 20% plus for 30 day plus delinquencies. And, you know, I was just listening to a webinar about non-QM, it was an IMN webinar yesterday. And, uh, and it seemed like a lot of people that were speaking were trying to put, you know, a positive spin on the numbers if, you know, and then in that uh, the servicing, servicing is all different, uh, forbearance numbers have been going down. Um, you know, there are certainly, certainly some positive trends out there, but, uh, I mean, can't ignore that that's a big delinquency number, right? Right. Uh, I, I think my biggest challenge right now is, is truly understanding within a given deal, you know, how the bar is performing versus kind of what's being reported. Um, yes, you've seen, uh, delinquency numbers spike, um, However, if you look across uh, different shelves, uh, and RPL is a good example of this, the different servicers are treating borrowers differently. Some servicers, when the borrower is in forbearance, whether they are paying or not, they're still reported as current. Um, you're seeing folks with payment deferrals be reported as current. Um, and you know, the, the level of current versus delinquencies, uh, what's reported is not really matching up to the underlying uh, you know, change in you know each loan's balance you're seeing a lot of loan balances go unchanged month over month um, an interesting example is some loan balances that kind of been unchanged through march april may you know come june it looks like they had a recapitalization of missed principal payments so it seems like and there's not really much transparency into it that servicers you know trying to handle all these requests at the onset of the, you know, the, the U.S. shutdown um, are kind of throwing a grab bag of solutions to assist their borrowers, you know, hoping that this is a short-term uh, problem that, you know, and folks will be able to, to catch up on payments, you know, at the end of this. So, so all, I, that I don't, is, I don't, I think all that is a good, all that is a good reason to stay away then in terms of, uh, um, you know, where you want to deploy your money, um, uh, except for the fact that, uh, like, you know, if, if the yields were higher, then then maybe that would make sense, but uh, obviously uh, you decided to drop out of that one one issue, right? Right, but I mean, there still are opportunities, um, yeah, and especially in the secondary markets and season deals. Um, there's quite a bit of, of price discovery still going on when, we, when you're looking at mezzanine and subordinate bonds. Um, but really, you know, I don't think the deals are 
homogeneous by any nature anymore. You, you really have to see, you know, by shelf, by deal, what's going on with the borrower. Um, and, you know, are you being compensated for, for the risk that, you're take, that, that you evaluate in the deal, not necessarily what, you know, the high level delinquency numbers are telling you. Okay. And just to wrap it up, because uh, we're running out of time, uh, what uh, going forward, what do you think is uh, going to be your favorite sector in the resi space uh, for the rest of the year, or let's say this next few months? I won't <laughs> proceed at December. My favorite sector? Um, well, I do know I'm keeping a close eye on uh, the you know the extension or renewal of, of these unemployment benefits, six hundred dollars a month that's set to expire at the end of the month. Um, that that would be supportive of, you know, as the RPL, given, you know, the, the lower uh, average loan size in that deal. Convexity on on Jumbo Prime uh, in secondary isn't, isn't looking too great with these bonds trading at higher dollar prices now and a lot of these deals in the money. However, uh, we are seeing um, some better convexity profiles and some of the newer issue Jumbo Prime um, you know, where you get a little more call protection because these wax are, you know, you know down in the, down in the low, low mid three percent. Um, so that's been an area we're looking at. Um, I think expanded prime actually, uh, which looks a little bit similar to jumbo prime. However, it's it's a wider, slightly wider credit box, and, and thus has a higher uh, uh, mortgage rate attached to to each loan, which gives you a little more uh, excess spread. Um, as well as there's, there's a more credit enhancement on, on these deals as a result. Um, however, those bonds, you know, those bonds are hard to find, and, and there's not nearly as uh, big a market as, say, Jumbo Prime, non-QM, or RPL. Can I jump in to okay. just ask Jen to what her favorite sector is going forward? Sure. Um, you know, I still I like the uh, junior junior triple A's and double A's at these levels on on the non-agency space. I think the last cash flow AAAs um, are probably looking slightly rich in here. Um, but as an alternative in the AAA space, I think there's probably a little bit better value in select SASB or even um, CRE CLO AAAs. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the spread tightening is probably done at least at the AAA level. And I think we'll still see some spread compression, you know, AA's and below. So you'll 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 look at CRE CLOs too. Well, I mean, I think it's a I think at the AAA level they look more attractively priced than the last cash flow conduits. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Okay, that's a great place to leave it for today. Uh, that's all the time we have. Um, but I just want to thank our guests, Jen Ripper and John Swar from Penn Mutual, uh, and to Morris Sadovi, my colleague here at DebtWire ABS. Okay, thanks everybody. Thank you. Have a good day. All right, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to ABS in Mind. If you're hungry for the skinny on asset-backed bonds, residential and commercial mortgage debt, consider debtwire.com or just tune in here next time. Also look to us on social media.